0: The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of the Orthodox Journey, we reflect upon the Gospel reading on the eleventh Sunday of Matthew with Peti Philaditis. Cosmas Kokinos will bring us our saint of the week, Saint Cosmas Oetolos, while Panayoti Constanti will consider the needs of our soul. This is The Orthodox Journey. The 11th Sunday of Matthew with Peti Philodidius of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group.
1: Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Peter thought that when he said seven times that he was being generous, because the scribes taught that one could forgive only three times. Peter wished to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, and so he raised the number to seven. But Christ, like he often did to all those who approached him, surprises and challenges Peter and all of us by indicating that we should be ready to forgive many times and that showing mercy should not be limited by human logic. The parable that he then goes on to relate to his disciples teaches us to be merciful, just like our Father in heaven is merciful. Most of us know this parable well. It briefly says that there was a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay, and so he was going to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. He fell down before the king, asking him to be patient, and said to him, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that very servant then went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down at his feet and begged him, saying to him the exact same words that he used himself Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But instead of forgiving him this small debt, he threw him into prison. So when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they went and told their master. And then the king called the first servant and reprimanded him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. There are so many lessons to be learned from this parable. First, in this parable, the first servant owed 10,000 talents, which was an enormous amount of money. Bishop Ignatius Brynchaninoff writes that each of our sins is significant, since each offends God. In other words, Our sins are as numberless as the talents in the parable. Secondly, it is good for us to remember that all of us will one day have to give account also for all our thoughts, desires and actions. It is the most fearful thing to depart from this world with our debts unpaid. In other words, without having repented before we depart to the other world. The servant in the parable could not pay 10000 so the king commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had to make payment. This seeming cruelty of the king is disturbing to some. Why did the king sell both the wife and the children, and all that the servant had, when their loss means he could never pay his debt? St. John Chrysostom explains that the king had to do this because this servant, as the parable later shows, Was so cruel and hard hearted that only in this way he may have been able to be brought to his senses. The reality of punishment often brings us to our senses as well and is often the first step towards repentance. The King's compassion on the servant reveals God's compassion for all of us. When we turn to God with repentance and a sincere promise to correct ourselves, then the Lord is ready at that second to grant us complete remission of sins. St. John Chrysostom also makes a note of the fact that the servant in this parable wasn't very good, he did not have any virtues, and yet, because he prayed, he received mercy. Look, he says, what power prayer has. However, how tragic, the servant who experienced the king's love and mercy then shows no mercy towards others. He would not forgive his fellow-servant, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So great was the servant's inhumanity, that although he had been forgiven the greater amount, ten thousand talents, he could not forgive the smaller amount, a hundred denarii. And this, even though the fellow-servant spoke the very same words to him, reminding him of the very words by which he himself had been saved, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He was blinded, not at all realizing that by this hardness of heart he was condemning himself. Such blindness always accompanies those of us who become stern and cruel. We depart from God and we forget God's mercy. When we demand immediate satisfaction from those who have hurt us, then we alienate ourselves from God and others. In this state, it becomes impossible to pray or to recite the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Often we notice this behaviour in ourselves, when we become angry or when we remember some offence by someone and when we demand an immediate apology. Someone hurts us intentionally or unintentionally, and we quickly retaliate, take our revenge, hurt them with our words, harm them with our actions. In other words, we choke them and throw them into prison, just like the servant in the parable did to his fellow servant. Our unwillingness to forgive our neighbour offends God's loving kindness and his trust in us, as shown in today's Gospel reading. God does not accept our prayers if we are not ready to forgive others from our heart. We must soften our hearts while we can, otherwise our hardness of heart will torture us. It is to our advantage to be constantly mindful of God's mercies to us and show the same mercy to others. We conclude with some powerful reminders by St. John Chrysostom. Look at what you will gain, he says, when you bear meekly the spiteful acts of others. First and greatest, deliverance from your sins. Secondly, fortitude and patience. Thirdly, mildness and benevolence. Fourthly, to be free from anger continually to which nothing can be equal. For to be free from anger is to be free from the despondency that comes from anger. And so in this way, we will not waste our life with vain labours and sorrows. For he who does not know how to hate, neither does he know how to grieve. Instead, he will enjoy pleasure and peace and 10,000 blessings. So we punish ourselves by hating others, even as, on the other hand, we benefit ourselves by loving them. Today's Gospel reading was according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses
2: 23
0: to 35. Saint of the Week with Kosmas Kokinos of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society.
3: Saint Cosmas of Etolia is a recent saint who is very dear to the hearts of all the Greek people who often refer to him endearingly as Patrokosmas. He is known as the apostle to the slaves and honored with the titles of equal to the apostles and teacher of the Greek nation. He was born in the year 1714 in a village called Megadendron in the region of Etolia in central Greece hundreds of years under Turkish occupation, had left the common people of the Greek villages in the darkness of ignorance, not only ignorance of their Christian faith, but also of basic language and education. St. Cosmas, as a sanctified vessel of the Holy Spirit, gave his whole life to enlightening the Greek people and achieving a staggering transformation throughout the whole country. He lit a flame in the hearts of the people, which burned brightly for many years after his death and paved the way for the liberation of Greece from the Ottoman yoke. Although he spent the first ten years of his life as a simple shepherd boy in the mountains, he always felt a yearning to learn to read and write, and his parents then sent him to another village where he was tutored by a hierodeacon named Gerasimus. He excelled in his studies, and began to assist his tutors by informally teaching other students even while he was completing his own education, and simultaneously working as a farmer. When news arrived in his region of the newly established school of Mount Athos, the Athoniada, Constas, as he was called before his monastic tonsure, seized the opportunity and set out for the holy mountain on foot with some of his fellow students. He studied there under famous lecturers such as Evgenios Vulgaris, becoming well versed in both divine and secular wisdom. After a few years though, his deeper yearnings could not be satisfied by the vain philosophy of this world and he embraced the true philosophy of the heavenly kingdom, entering the monastic life at the holy monastery of Philothel. There he was tonsured with the name Cosmas and soon afterwards ordained a priest. After cultivating himself for many years, St. Cosmas was called by God to dedicate the rest of his life to the service of his people. We will hear how he describes this calling in his own words. I stayed on the holy mountain for seventeen years, where I wept over my sins. Among the countless gifts which my Lord has granted me, he made me worthy to learn a few letters of the Greek language, and I became a monk. Studying the holy and sacred gospel, I found in it many and different teachings, which are all pearls, diamonds, treasures, riches, joy, gladness, eternal life. Among the other things, I also found this teaching in which Christ says to us, No Christian, man or woman, should be concerned only with himself and his own salvation, but must be concerned also with his brethren. When I too, my brethren, heard these sweetest words that our Christ said to us, that we must concern ourselves for our brethren, these words gnawed at my heart for many years, just as a worm eats away at wood. So what was I to do? Mindful of my own ignorance, I sought the advice of my spiritual fathers, bishops and patriarchs. I revealed this thought of mine to them, and I asked if it was pleasing to God for me to take up this work. Indeed, all of them urged me to go ahead, and they told me that such a work is good and sacred. In fact, I was urged on most of all by His All Holiness the Patriarch. May we all have his blessing. And with his blessing, I went out and began to walk from place to place to teach my brethren. St. Cosmas set out initially from Constantinople and preached throughout Thrace and Macedonia. He travelled all over northern Greece and even visited some of the islands. He avoided the large cities, perhaps because he knew that there at least there were some hierarchs, priests and teachers who could offer education and spiritual support to the people. Instead, he went to small villages, especially in Albania and Epirus, where education was non-existent, banditry was rampant, conversions to Islam were commonplace, and even the appearance of an orthodox priest was a rare sight. The effect that Saint Guzmas had on the regions he visited was immediate and unprecedented. Village by village, region by region, people began to receive a basic education, churches reopened, conversions to Islam ceased, and thieves left their dens and became reformed citizens. His activity even aroused the suspicion of the Venetians who occupied the Ionian islands off the coast of Epirus. They even sent spies who disguised themselves as peasant Greeks and mixed with the crowds that followed Saint Cosmas. The report which these spies brought back to the Venetian authorities at Kefalonia survives in their archives today, and although it is only brief, it shows us just how great an impact St. Cosmas had on those who heard him. The report says, They ran after him, kissed his hands and feet, revering him as a true saviour. Even those outside the law made peace with their enemies and lived peacefully from then on. No church in the villages was large enough to contain the crowds that gathered. So St. Cosmas would plant a wooden cross in the ground, out in the open fields or squares, then he would stand on a portable platform and preach to the thousands of people who came to hear him. He began his ministry with a paraclysis service. Then he would preach his three teachings, the daches, over successive days, while the priests who followed him from place to place would assist him with the mysteries of confession, holy unction and holy communion. His inspired words were always simple and he used examples from everyday life that all the people could relate to. He would begin his first teaching, the Dahi Proti, usually in the evening, starting with the account of the creation of the world and the story of Adam and Eve, their fall and exile from paradise. The following morning, he would continue with the second teaching in which he narrated the birth and life of Panahiyya The birth and life of christ and the events of holy thursday the mystical supper the betrayal and suicide of judas on the evening of the same day he would conclude with his third teaching the main theme of this was the resurrection the work of the apostles and the spreading of the christian faith throughout the world as well as the last judgment and the fate of the sinners and the righteous in addition to these three teachings which he delivered in every place that he visited He would speak to the people about the Christian life, about love, suffering, the upbringing of children, and many other topics. His words would always penetrate straight to the hearts of his listeners, and they received his teaching with enthusiasm as the expression of God's will for them. A few months before his martyrdom, Saint Cosmas wrote a letter to his brother, Hieromonk Chrysanthos, in Constantinople. We will listen to the words of the saint, which tell us about how much he achieved in his travels around Greece, but which also shed some light on how popular he was even amongst the Turks, who respected him greatly for his holiness and virtue. My most sacred, beloved brother, Lord Chrysanthos, I kiss your hand and beseech the Holy God to grant you spiritual and physical health. Thanks to divine grace, brother, I am somewhat well, but spiritually the Lord knows. The things that have happened to me and around me appear unbelievable to many, and even I cannot understand them. I tell you these things only so that you may glorify the Lord and that you may rejoice because there is much repentance among our brethren. I have passed through up to 30 provinces. I have established 10 Greek schools and 200 grammar schools, the Lord working with me and my word being confirmed through certain signs that follow me. But glory to him who says, My power is made perfect in weakness. I am now passing through Paramithia and Margariti. I hope God willing to come and see you shortly. I also travelled through our village, where all our family and friends send their respects to you. I kiss your hand and that of His Holiness, the Patriarch, and I pray for all the brethren in Christ. Be well in body and soul. Ten thousand Christians love me, and one hates me. A thousand Turks love me, and one not so much. Thousands of Jews want my death, and one doesn't. 2nd of March, 1779. Your brother, Hieromonk Kosmas. Despite his great popularity among both, among both the Greeks and the Turks, the Jews hated him fiercely because he put an end to the practice of holding markets on Sundays with the results that the markets were moved to Saturdays when the Jews were not allowed to engage in any sort of work. A group of eminent Jews bribed the Turkish government of Berati, Kurt Pasha, to assassinate the saint. On the 24th of August 1779, St. Cosmas was led by a group of Turkish soldiers on the pretext of e- escorting him to greet the Pasha. He saw through their lies and prepared himself for his final journey to the eternal homeland. He calmly followed them to the place of his execution and blessed the four corners of the universe with great joy and offering thanksgiving to God. He was then hanged from a tree and gave up his soul to the Lord. His holy relics were miraculously retrieved by the local Christians and have continued to be a source of miracles to this day. His veneration was officially recognized by the Patriarchate of Constantinople in 1961.
0: Orthodox Spiritual Reflection with Panayoti Konstandi of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society.
4: The following are some thoughts on the needs of the soul and how they determine our behaviour. Every human being, irrespective of race, colour, ethnic background or educational status, has certain inner basic needs which must be satisfied if he is to feel content in this world. In fact, he should be able to enjoy life though the nature of enjoyment differs from person to person, in this article we will deal with three major such needs which dominate the inner world of the human being. The first, to love and to be loved. To be the recipient of love and to be capable to offer love is the dominant need of the human soul. This need can be expressed in various forms, for example as friendship, love of parents, love for the family and so on. This leads us to perform certain activities so as to satisfy our need for love. We need to learn to evaluate our mistakes, to be ready to admit them, and to make every effort to put them right, and preferably not to repeat them. If we neither evaluate our behaviour nor try to improve it, we are bound to suffer as much as when we do not love, or are not loved. Our health and our happiness depend on our ability to satisfy this need. The famous German philosopher Heine has said, to be unable to love is the greatest misfortune that can befall a human being. The second, to feel that we are of value, that is to have self-esteem. Equally important to the need of love is the feeling that we are of value to ourselves as well as to others. The person who loves others and is loved, feels that he has value. And equally, he who feels he has value is a man who loves, and at the same time capable to offer love. But. This does not appear to happen always. Children who have all their desires satisfied by their parents cannot distinguish whether this is due to parental love or to their own behavior approved by their parents. The result is that they cannot develop the feeling of value, they cannot develop self-esteem. This happens when, contrary to appearances, their parents do not in fact love their children because they have an ulterior motive. For instance, they may want to be left alone to enjoy themselves. What however can be worse is for the parent or parents to try to secure the exclusive and lifelong attachment of the children to themselves. The result being there would be no one else in the life of the children to stand by them, prepared to support them later on in their life. The third is responsibility. For a person to be responsible is the result of the feeling that one has value. When a responsible person promises to do something for someone else, he will do what is asked of him for the sake of the other person, spurned by the feeling of his own value and self-esteem. Fortunately, many people who behave responsibly do try to create an environment within which they attempt to pass on this principle mostly by their own example, as well as by teaching it though their teaching should not be different from their own practice. Those who should pay heed to this point include in particular parents, teachers, clerics and others in positions of authority.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcasts, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.